No matter how, no matter how, no matter how old we are, we always remember what our dads say and do. My dad is more like Jesus than your dad. Nuh-uh. My dad doesn't let anybody eat any food until we pray for it. My dad prays for one minute every day. You know what? Our church has pancakes. This is what my sister and mom use for their blush. My dad says that mean kids never know what they're talking about. Because their parents don't know what they're talking about either. My dad says to punch meanies in the face. Then my mom says, don't ever do that. And my dad goes to time out. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's beard is itchy whenever he kisses me. My dad takes me to church so we could learn to be just like Jesus. My daddy prays for me. Then he makes me stop talking and go to bed. Then I get a flashlight and read my comic book. That's a sin. He's sinning. No, I'm not. Sinner. No, I'm not. R2. 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 My dad said that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. My dad never stays mad at me. My dad taught me to forgive, because Jesus forgives us every time we ask. I want a mohawk. I wish I had hair. It's okay, your hair will probably grow back. Thanks for being our dads for all our lives. You know, our dad is our dad all of our lives, right? But I want you to stop and think for a moment because everybody didn't experience a good father. And they think, well, man, I'm carrying a burden. But I, I think when we celebrate Father's Day, what we probably ought to do is stop and reflect who our first father really is amen and he has never failed us he's never left us he's never forsaken us he's always there to rescue us even when we mess up amen how many of you ever got put in time out well think about this your father probably got put in timeout too. There's only one father that never had to go into timeout, and that's God. Amen. He's the one that knows what timeout's all about. He can put you in timeout forever. God is a good father. So let's talk for a minute about the influence of a father in our lives. How many of you ever found yourself saying what your father said? You know what I mean? You get older and you grow up and you start and, and then something comes out of your mouth and you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. You know, something like, you know what I'm talking about? Would you turn the lights off when you leave these rooms? Debbie goes, no. 
Do you, you realize what culture shock that was to me? I was taught all my life to shut every light off when you left a room. And Debbie has had to retrain me to leave every light on when you go into a room because she doesn't like dark anywhere. As a matter of fact, when I get home, my first job is to make sure all the lights are on. And if I don't have them on, she'll walk in and she'll go, you did not welcome me. You did, I, I can't believe you did not welcome me. So look, if all it takes to welcome her is flipping on a light switch, I want to do that. Amen. <laughs> but we, we find ourselves repeating some of the things our fathers said, like, shut that door. Were you born in a barn? So I can see that some of us all shared the same father. <laughs> It, the things that, that they grew up with that, that were probably told to them. And we probably had some fathers that were born in a barn. Thank you. Jesus was born in a manger. And so there's nothing wrong with having the door open <laughs> because he has it open for us. Now, we can learn bad habits, right? But how many of you know we can also learn good habits? And so when we think about our Father, and I want to preach to you for a little while this morning on the heart of not a Father, but the heart of the Father. Because God is our Father, and He wants to influence our life. And how many of you want Him to? Amen. So when you go to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is unique. Isaiah is a prophet. He's writing, and Isaiah, in, in Isaiah's time frame, Isaiah would be there to see Assyria conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. But Isaiah lived more than 100 years away from Jeremiah. But yet Isaiah writes about something that's going to happen in Jeremiah's day. Because this is what I want you to understand, is that God is not just our Father. God is a Father of our fathers, and the Father of our Father's Father, and the Father of our Father's... You, you get what I'm saying. And so, having said that, God sees throughout generational time, and he's concerned about every child in every generation. So my dad would, when I turned 15, I, I, I lost my father, but it was surrounding circumstances that are worth sharing here. I didn't... I, my dad didn't take me to church. He didn't know God. He hadn't, let me say this, he hadn't accepted God. I'm convinced that he had had a relationship with God at some point in his life. I remember laying in bed at around probably 12 years old and praying, God, save my father. When my Dad ended up going into the hospital over some things. What I did not know is that my mother had received a word of prophecy a year before this. 
And it said that in the month of July, your family will suffer great sorrow, but then there'll be great joy. And then he, another prophecy came to her and said that your husband will be saved on his deathbed. None of this had been told to me. But before my dad died, he gave his heart to God. Amen. Now, my grandfather always talked to me about, and I remember my grandfather being, that's probably the first experience I had of going to church. He took me to a church, and he always used to talk about his father which would be my great-grandfather, and found out that my great-grandfather was a circuit rider preacher that used to go around. And so you've got all of the, you, you've got God looking at a family. Everybody say his family. This is what I want you to understand. He wasn't just looking at my family. He had his eyes on your family, and he saw generation to generation to generation, and he said, you know what? I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to insert myself in your situation. I'm going to step into your world. I'm going to change things for your life, even when we get it wrong. Somebody say, praise God. So, Isaiah is alive a hundred years before Jeremiah, and he writes about a captivity that's going to take place in Jeremiah's time. God speaks through him, and he begins to write. And if you look at the book of the, the 48th chapter of Isaiah, God begins to talk to them about their having rebelled against him. Now, keep in mind, this isn't the generation that Isaiah lives in. This is 100 years down the road, and God is speaking to that generation before that generation has been born. And he tells him, he says, I, let me put it in plain English. He goes through to tell them that he, they're about their rebellion and their rejection of him. And he said, so I'm going to tell you now what's getting ready to happen. So when it does happen, you don't start saying, well, it was that idol I was worshiping or some other God I was worshiping. You're going to understand that it was me. And he's, then he goes on to say some other things. He, he, he talks to them about their rebellion, but then he talks to them about his salvation, his rescue, his coming for them. And he tells him, I'm not doing this for you because you're good. I'm doing this because of who I am and I love you. Everybody say, God loves me. Boy, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? I mean, how many of you struggle that God could love me? Wow. You all have that hard of a time believing that God could love your own pastor. <laughs> See, usually our, our struggle is in, it's not in God loving someone else, it's in God loving us. And the truth is that God doesn't love us any less or any more than he loves that when we're good than when we're bad. You got that? Love is a constant. Love doesn't draw back when you're not acting right. Love is a constant. Now, what happens is when we're not acting right, it produces its own set of circumstances, right? So they have produced a set of circumstances, and God says, now look, I'm going to come in 
and rescue you. Somebody say, thank God. How many of you have ever needed to be rescued before? Let me just ask a question real quick. Anybody in here ever have kids that were rebellious? You don't have to throw your hands. <laughs> I see children grabbing the bear's hands. <laughs> okay, here's one for you. How many, ooh, this is going to be tough, huh? How many of you in here were rebellious? Let me, let me, let me say it a different way because everybody's hand didn't go up. How many of you in here have ever gotten something wrong, have not acted right? Hold your hand up. Now, if you're not holding your hand up, you just blew it because you're not telling the truth right now. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what we have to understand is this, is that God never saved us because of our goodness. He saved us because of his grace. Amen. Aren't you glad for his grace? So what he does is there is something inside the heart of the Father. Let me, before I go any further, let me say this, that we have to have an understanding that God is the first Father that ever existed. So today I'm not talking about the heart of a Father. I'm talking about the heart of the Father that there are things that are inside God's heart toward not just us, but every generation because every generation belongs to him. And so when you look at that, I want you to look into the 49th chapter of Isaiah, and I'm going to give you some verses to look at because in the 49th chapter of Isaiah, God begins to speak about the rescue. He's, he's told them ahead of this about their rebellion, but now he's going to speak concerning their rescue. In verse 10, he lets them know that he's going to be like a shepherd to lead them. And this is what he says in Isaiah 49 and 10. They will neither hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters. Do you hear what it say? he said? The searing sun isn't going to reach you anymore. He recognizes the fact that we've been in some fire, that we've been in some hot places and it's been uncomfortable and we've found ourselves in places where we could not sustain ourselves. So God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to come and lead you out of the place you got yourself into and I'm going to get you to a place of refreshing. I'm going to bring you to a place of fullness. I'm going to bring you beside still waters. Maybe that's why David talks about him that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. What's he saying? David's saying, I'd have never made it there on my own. But he came into my life and he took me out of where I was and put me in a place he wanted me to be. Any of you ever gotten lost before? You know, I'm talking about driving or, you know, or, or, you know, if you, I'll tell you a, a bad feeling is when you're in the middle of the woods and you get lost. <laughs> I was hunting in a patch of woods one time and thank God 
my uh, son said, Dad, let's set a point here because I'd never, we'd never been in those woods. So when we got out of the car, and I didn't even know you could do that, but I, he took my phone and he set a point of where the car was at, and I took off. And I don't know how I did this, but somehow I got turned around in those woods. And I started walking, and, and as I was walking, I was headed in the wrong direction and didn't even know I was headed in the wrong direction. And I thought, you know what, it might be a good idea to just take my phone out of my pocket and check where I'm at. This is better than Siri ever was. <laughs> check where you're at. And I took that phone out and I pulled that map up and all of a sudden I realized that I was walking this way, but the, where we started out was back this way, so I had to recorrect my course. How many of you are glad that God knows how to recorrect your course? You know, with Siri in the car, she starts going, uh, well, let me say that GPS. I remember GPS. What was that? Garmin. I remember Garmin. I, I don't like Garmin. He annoyed me. Garmin would be in the car and all of a sudden he'd start going, you'd pass something and he'd go, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And I'm thinking, what are you recalculating, man? Just give me, tell me what's going on here. And he, but he, he couldn't, he couldn't change my course. All he could tell me was I was lost. And I'm, I'm thinking, Garmin, I know I'm lost. I don't need to be, I told him, I know I'm lost. I need, I need, but God doesn't do that. God doesn't just point out you're in the wrong direction. He steps in and changes your direction. He said, I'm going to turn it around. This isn't about your ability or what you've done. This is about who I am and I'm going to rescue you. He talks about in verse 11 about making obstacles, stepping stones. So in verse 11, he says, and I will make my mountains into level paths for them. The highways will be raised above the valley. David used to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. But here God's saying, let me tell you something. I'm going to take the highway and I'm going to raise it up above that valley and get you out of it. I'm going to do a course correction on you. And those mountains in your life, those obstacles that seem so big to you that you feel like there's no possible way that I can get over them, God says, look, I'm not, we're not going to talk about getting over them. We're going to talk about getting through them because I'm getting ready to flatten that mountain mountain down uh, so you can just keep walking and following me. Only God can do that, and God does that because that's the heart of the Father. He is going to rescue us. We, we, we're celebrating Father's Day today, and in May we celebrate it what? Mother's Day. Everybody say, there's nothing like a mother's love. And, and, and I, I thought about this, but I, I hope you understand this, that a mother's ability to love came from God. So in the beginning, God created man, right? And then he said it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates 
What? Do you, you understand the term woman literally means the womb of man? And so God's the only one that can take a rib and make a womb out of it and deliver a child. I'm saying that to say this, and you're going to see it in this passage, that every characteristic of a mother's love came from God. And every characteristic of a father's love came from God. So God is not just love us as a father. He's the one that gave mothers the capacity to love. And listen to what he says about this. In verse 15, he says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I put something in a mother's heart, but this world has twisted and turned and skewed and perverted and polluted until I have watched with my own eyes from a video clip a, a young lady take a bag that had a baby in it and throw it over in a dumpster. And I thought, how could you do that? And God here is saying that that's not a mother's love. I put something inside of her to love and to care. But even if she ever did that, I'll never forget gets you. You don't ever have to worry about me walking away from you. You're not going to have to worry about me leaving you. I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll go with you Amen. to the ends of the earth. That's God. That's the love. That's the heart of the Father. He goes on to talk about how, how many of you in here have uh, pictures of your kids? Wave your hand if you got pictures of your kids. You know, they used to, you, you remember the wallets? Some of you aren't, gonna, aren't old enough to remember this. I remember the wallet that used to be like that fat, man. And, and what would happen is in the middle of that wallet, there was this big old long sleeve that folded like an accordion for pictures. And I, I'd see, and, and, and a lot of times it, was, it would be more the grandparent doing this stuff, you know. And, and all of a sudden they'd whip out that wallet and, Boom, 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 and all these pictures would fall out about, oh, these are my grandkids. Second, look at this. Second, look at this. Second, look at this. And I thought, man, you need to get a life. You know, yeah, I mean, just wrapped up, just wrapped up in, in that. And now we don't do that, do we? I don't have my phone on me. Anybody got a phone? Everybody's got a phone in this house. So what, where do we keep our pictures at now? On the phone. And we keep so many pictures on the phone of our kids and grandkids that the phone can't contain it. So what do we do? We send it up to the Father in the cloud. We, we, we put everything in the cloud. So, but, but check this out. Before you ever thought about snapping a picture of your baby, before you ever thought about carrying a wallet, before you ever thought about downloading it into your iPhone, this is what God said. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruins. This is what God is saying. I don't just think about you 
when you're doing right. I see you when you're in ruins. I see you when the enemy has wasted you and tried to destroy you, and I carry you in the palm of my hand. You are ever before me, and I'm not going to let him get away with it. <laughs> oh, somebody say, that's the heart of the Father. Well, where do you see, where, where did you read that? Well, give me just a second, and I will. Because God, God he, he's saying all these things, but this is what he's saying. He's saying he's not going to allow the enemy that captured us to keep us. He, he's, he's not going to allow that. I mean, think of it. How many of you in here, like if uh, you're competing in sports and you win the first place trophy, are going to let the last place team come in and take your trophy? I'm just going to take that. I'm gonna... How many of you... That if, if a thief breaks into your house, this is a better illustration, scratch that last one. If, if a thief breaks into your house and he steals your stuff and he's, and, and, and he, you know, he walks in, man, he's bold and blazing. He walks in with a 44 Magnum and give me all your money. And he takes all your stuff and, and he starts to walk out of your house with your stuff. How many of you are going to look at him and say, you better give that back to me right now? Is he going to do that? Is, is he going, what he took for plunder? Is the enemy going to give back what he took? Not in a lifetime. But when God steps into the picture, <laughs> it changes everything. I said it changes everything. I remember, I, I remember dogs uh, d d before, man, where we would be walking, and if a dog would come up and begin to bark and, and, and snap at my family, I'm going to get between that dog and my family, and I'm getting ready. I, I'll never forget, man, my daughter had a Shetland pony. How many of you love Shetland ponies? You wouldn't have loved this one. That Shetland pony, my, daughter, my granddaughter was like two years old, and I happened to be out there in the pen with the Shetland pony, and that Shetland pony tried to headbutt Shaylee and opened its mouth to try and bite her. And man, before I knew what had happened, I grabbed that granddaughter and stepped back, and I went after that horse. I grabbed a board, and I went after that horse, and that horse backed away from me. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't being aggressive now. He was backing up in a corner, and I was talking to that horse. I said, come on, buddy. Come on. You want to fight somebody? You got somebody to fight right here, right now. Now, you may think that's funny, but that's the heart of the father he's not going to allow the devil to destroy you he's not going to let him take you out he's going to say you want to fight you got to fight now listen to what he says in verses 24 and 25 who can snatch the plunder of war from the hands of a warrior the thief that stole it who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go but the lord says the captives of warriors will be released and plunder of tyrants will be retrieved. I will fight those who fight you, and I will save your children. What's he saying? He's, he's, uh, look, before Clint Eastwood ever had the line, make my day, God 
had already done it. God stepped in. He said, I'm going to restore to you what the canker worm got, what the locust and the caterpillar have eaten up. Uh, David went after. David's city is burned in fire. All of his family is stolen and gone. Everything is utter destruction. And his own men talk about stoning him. But the Bible said that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And he cried out to God, God, shall I go and pursue. I can't do this on my own, God. I can't, I can't take care of the enemy on my own. But the Lord spoke to him. He said, you pursue. And the Bible said, David recovered all. I'm telling you what, what the devil's tried to take from you. God is going to restore to you. Not because you're good. Not because you're so great. But in spite of who we've been. And what we've done, God will rescue us. Now, what gets unique here to me is that I, I talked to you about the heart of the Father just doesn't reach to one generation. He didn't just see you. He saw our children and our children's children. I, Acts makes a statement that says, For the promises unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. Well, how many is that? Well, you figure that out. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then the scripture said that it's not God's will that any perish. So God's calling everybody. Question is, are we listening? Are we listening to his call? Now, what happened to Babylon or what happened to Israel concerning Babylon was because they wouldn't turn back to God. So God didn't do it to destroy them. He let it happen to redeem them. Isaiah prophesies a hundred years before this has taken place, and he calls the guy's name out that's going to help rescue Israel out of Babylon and go back to their home. He said, thus saith the Lord to my servant Cyrus, whom I've called by name. You imagine what Cyrus felt like when somebody walked up and handed him a scroll that had his name on it. I can tell you what he did. Let my people go. <laughs> he sent him back home. He said, you're going to be restored. You're going to be redeemed. You're going to live again. Amazing, isn't it? But then there's, if, you, if you're not careful, you miss something in the 49th chapter of Isaiah. That God wasn't just speaking to Isaiah concerning his time, and he wasn't just speaking to Isaiah concerning the Israelites' time with Babylon a hundred years later, but he was speaking to Isaiah concerning us. Everybody say, he's talking about me. <laughs> Look at Isaiah 49, chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord speaks. The one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him, the Lord has honored me 
and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So here's God, and all of a sudden, Isaiah is prophesying, and it's like Christ is speaking through him. And he starts saying that the Lord that formed me, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah. And then all of a sudden it, it's unveiled that not only is God going to redeem Israel and bring Israel to him, but God's getting ready to reach way into the future to every generation. And he's going to cause a light to shine to the Gentiles. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. And, and, and God promises salvation to the ends of the earth that's the heart of the father the heart of the father is that none should perish the heart of the father is that we should all come to everlasting life but you don't understand pastor I've been a real stinker God knew you were a stinker before you've ever stunk your first stink or stink your first stunk, whatever. He knew. But guess what? He looked past your stink. Don't we? Think about it. Don't we do that for our kids? How many of you, when your children messed their diaper, went, oh, good, good job. And, and I'm going to hang this up on the refrigerator. No, there was some stink going on there. And what you did without batting an eye, you took it off of them and cleaned them up. And you threw away the stink. <laughs> you didn't take that baby and go, I can't believe you did this. Get out of my house. You didn't take that baby and say, you clean yourself up because it was impossible for him to do that. Just like it's impossible for us to clean ourselves, to save ourselves, to redeem ourselves. So what he does is he says, I'm going to do that for you. Now look at, leap forward, Jesus comes. Isaiah is talking about him, not just in this chapter, but man, you could you read the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is talking about the Messiah coming in chapter after chapter, verse after verse, he's talking about the promises and the redemption and what's going to happen. And he comes. Some, oh, over 400 years later, he comes. And then Jesus has something to say. He gathers a group of people together, and I, I want you to give me a little grace here with this. He grabs a group of people together, and he starts talking to them about a father that had two sons. It's in the 15th chapter of Luke. I want to remind you who he is talking to when he's telling this story. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he shares a story about a son that had stayed home and had done everything and had, had always done what they thought was the will of the father and, and had always, you know, been there right with him. But he despised the other brother that left. He was painting a picture of the Pharisees with a child that stayed home. 
What about the one that wandered away? Oh, I have sheep of another flock that you know not of. I've got to gather them in too. You know what the difference is? is between being a born a son and be, or a, a son or daughter and being adopted is when you are born, you grow in your mother's belly. When you're adopted, you grow in their heart. And so he saw us, a group of people that were so messed up. And he said, I'm going to bring them in too. That son, that other son, he doesn't have a clue of the father's worth. He doesn't understand. All he can see is his stuff. You ever get sidetracked with that? You ever have a child at Christmas time and all that going from one present to the other and not stopping to be thankful for the first one? We've probably all been there at some point in our life. This son demanded the father's stuff and he left the father's presence because he thought it was just his father's stuff that he needed, that he wanted. It would not be long until he understood, understands that it's his father's presence that he needs. He goes into another land and he spends everything he has. He goes through the stuff. You know, it's amazing to me. I've read so many accounts of people that won the lottery and within seven years, they're broke, completely broke, got nothing. And I'm talking about people that won millions of dollars, and they thought it would never end. They thought, I'm going to ride this pony all the way, and the pony died, and everything they had was gone. I know, well, I'm not going to get it. I, I know a couple that have a beautiful home, a mansion. And we noticed that, you know, weeds were growing up. And I thought, man, what's the deal, you know? And I'm thinking, boy, you got a house. And it's brand new, brand new. And then come to find out that that big blessing that they got, that their son got for them means nothing to them now because now they're no longer together. You see, it's not stuff we need. It's the Father. It's the Father. And so the boy finally comes to the place where he's destitute. All of his money is gone. His father's money is gone. He's, he's gone through it all, and a famine came in the land, hard times, inflation hit. And he begs a guy for a job, and he's out there feeding this guy's pigs, and he's seriously thinking about eating the slop that the pigs are eating because he's so hungry. And the Bible said that he came to himself. Let's look at it together. It's in 15, starting with verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The boy begins to make his trek home. And as, if you would, as he starts to make his trek home, he's rehearsing this speech in his mind. I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up. I'm not asking you to take me back home as a son. I know, I know that can't happen. But could I be a servant? Because I'm so hungry. And I can't live like this anymore. And as he's rehearsing this, what he doesn't know is that every morning his father had stepped out of the house and looked out across the land that he owned, over the hills and the horizon, looking for any trace of his boy, praying that his boy would find his way home. And then all of a sudden on this day, as he's walking and he's reminiscing, the father sees him. And when the father sees the son, the father starts running toward the son. And as he's running toward him, the son's got to be thinking, oh, no, man, he's going to tell me to get out of here, to, to leave here. But instead, when he gets up to him, he never even gets a chance to give his speech. The father wraps his arms around the boy and welcomes him home. And he's trying to give the speech. He said, Dad, I, I'm sorry. I, I messed up so much. He said, I can't be your son. Just let me be your servant. But while he's trying to give him an explanation, the father is busy barking orders. Uh, go kill the fatted calf. Uh, bring me a robe and a ring uh, because my son that was dead uh, has come home again. Uh, that, my friend, uh, is the heart of the Father. So no matter where you find yourself, uh, no matter where you've gone, no matter what road you went down, the destruction, the rebellion, no matter where you're at, uh, you have a Father uh, that is waiting for you to come home. Uh, you have a Father that is refusing to give you up. Uh, but he will declare to the nations that you are mine. Would you stand with me today? The heart of the Father. I've tried my best to be a good dad, and I know there are times that I fail, but I have a father that's never failed me. I have a father that's never failed my children. I have a father that will never fail my children's children. That was looking at my dad and dealing with his heart before I was ever born that held my grandfather in his hand that put a fire in my great-grandfather's heart to get on the back of a horse and ride and share the gospel. I don't know how far back my family line goes, but I can tell you this. There hasn't been a generation of my family that wasn't seen and loved by the God 
of this universe. The heart of the Father. So this is what I want to ask you today. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what's going on, everything may, may be wonderful in your world. If it is, thank your Father. But if you're like most of us, there's some chinks in our armor. There's some things that we're wrestling with and navigating, and we can't do it alone. And I'm not going to stand here and act like I can walk on water. I'm not going to act before God like I can manage it. But I'm going to cry out to my Father, help me, show me, and God will show us the way home. Let him show you the way home today. So this is what I'm going to do. If you're in here and you've got some stuff, you need a father to step in. Not a father, you need the father. Remember when we were kids, man, we go to school, get into it with somebody and say, better leave me alone. My, my dad will show up and he'll take care of you. Oh, yeah? Well, my dad can whip your dad. I never, I, this happened in grade school. I remember this going on. I thought, yeah, I got news for you today. I got the grandest daddy of them all. <laughs> there are not enough devils in hell to whip him. As a matter of fact, when they tried, he just cast them out. And he said, I'll fight those that fight you. I will contend with those that contend with you. What's he saying? He's saying, this fight isn't yours. David had it right when he looked at that giant Goliath and he said, are you kidding? You think I'm coming out there on my own? You think I'm showing up on this battlefield alone? He said, the battle is not mine. It is the Lord's. And today, he will deliver you into my hands. So whatever it is that's tried to take you out, you need to let God take care of it today. Amen. If you're here and you've got something going on and you need the Father, to help you with, I want you to come down here right now. Very quickly, very quickly, very quickly. I always tell people this. I, it, you know, it amazes me. Don't anybody get mad at what I'm going to say. But I'm telling you, man, when I had stuff going on, I ran to the Father. I used to spend so, you ask my wife, I used to spend so much time in the altar, I'm sure everybody thought I backslid every week. I, I just wanted, I didn't, I didn't want to navigate my life on my own. There was something desperate in me that was crying out to God, please order my steps. Please take control of my life. I, I don't want it for me. I'm giving it to you. I'd see him show up time and again. I mean, I, I'm going to share this with you. We're going to pray. There was a time in my life i had been reading Scripture. And I came across this Scripture. It said, said that Abraham was God's friend. And man, that resonated with me. 
And I started praying. I said, God, I get that I'm your child. I understand that. I know I'm your child because, you know, you don't pick your children, right? <laughs> but God, what would it take to be your friend? And man, this, I mean, I meditated on this. This has been going on in my mind for a few weeks. I kept going back to that. God, what would it take to be your friend? And I went into a service one night where nobody knew me. And a lady called me up front and she looked at me and I, all I can remember, I can't tell you everything she said. All I can remember is this, as even that she said, even as Abraham was the friend of God, so I have called you. And man, I, I melted like butter and hit that floor. Because I knew that I had a friend. <laughs> a father that loves me enough to want me as a friend as well. So as you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. let me have a handkerchief, please, out of napkin, toilet paper something. Thank you. Stretch your hands. It's Father's Day. Why do you say we love on Daddy for a while? Can we do that? Just Come raise on. your hands to heaven and love on him for a while. Love on him for a moment with me right now. Now, he said... I'm going to fight those that fight with you. I'm going to contend with those that contend with you. So you know what? That gives me a little bit of boldness to step out on the battlefield. Because I say, I got God backing me up. My, my father's here. I didn't come here alone. I did not bring a knife to a gunfight. I brought the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, My heart has been in your Long before my first breath, running into your arms is running to life from death. I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am. You pull me. So he's a friend, so I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again.
So bound a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, my heart has been.
no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend, so I run to the Father So I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. My soul found a friend. So I run to the Father again. Today, I. I'm, I'm going to spring something on you, and I'll let you go after this because this is going to be such a shock that I know it's, it's some of you are going to be struggling to understand it. Today is not just Father's Day. Every day you live is Father's Day because you've got a father that's present, that's mindful of you. If you never had, if your dad never showed up in your life, if he was never there for you, I want you to hear me. You have a father. I, I say, let me quit saying a father. The father was there for you. The father of all fathers. And he's not like your dad. Hey, as much as I love my kids, I can't begin to touch the way God loves my kids. He is the father. And every day is Father's Day. Because every day he's going to be there for you. He's going to be there extending his hand, fighting your battle, if you'll give it to him. But you know, my dad let me learn some tough lessons on my own. I, he told me some things and I didn't listen to him and I had to learn it the hard way. He didn't quit loving me because I didn't listen to him. He, he didn't walk away from me. He just came to scoop up the pieces and say, okay, son, I tried to tell you. God's trying to talk to us. He's trying to tell us. What do you say we listen to him today? Amen. Let's give him a great big hand clap of praise. God bless you. We love you. And happy Father's Day.